and welcome to this latest episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Lucy Chamberlain. And me, Saul Walker. Now that autumn is making itself known to us, it seems a natural time to reflect on times past and look forward to new ventures ahead. So, with that in mind, we'd like to give a nod to these recent few months by simultaneously embracing what lies in front of us, both practically and at our respective gardens, and by assessing how this exciting industry that we've decided to devote our professional lives to is evolving and thriving. So many of us are showing this sector's true grit by quietly propagating new stock, dreaming up fresh initiatives, looking to new ways of working and generally supporting the trade. And our aim via this podcast is to muse on developments and showcase these horticultural heroes. We'll bring you two short 20-minute episodes each week, plus a longer bonus monthly interview. What more of a reason do you need to join us on this journey? Let's once again step into the busy and exciting world of the modern head gardener. We've arrived at one of the RHS's four, soon to be five, gardens. Uh, we're continuing our Essex tour. Um, we were at Altingwick yesterday and now we have come to Hyde Hall. We have. Uh, and I know you know this garden reasonably well, Lucy, because you do some lessons here. And, and of course, you used to work for the RHS as well. I, yeah, I did. Well, I, about 20 years ago was my first visit to Hyde Hall when it is so far beyond what it is now. It was um, a small car park and a tiny garden centre on the top of the hill by the gravel garden. And the the buildings that we see now dominating the hill were not there at all. There was not even the, sh- the gift shop down the bottom of the hill. Um, this garden, I think, every time I come back to it, has changed year on year, especially in the last, I would say, five years, phenomenally. And as sort reference, I do I do come here um, every year to to give um, uh, gardening talks on um, veg, fruit and veg growing and, and fruit and veg gardening. growing. Yeah, because yeah, I I've, I've dabble in that a little bit. About exotics. Yeah, no, not exotics. No, no, I don't like them very much. So, <laughs> um, and so as I say, I've seen this garden evolve. Now, so my visitor experience for this tour is different to yours because you are a Hyde Hall virgin. You've never been here before. Never been. Never been. I've popped your cherry here today. And I've now been to three out of the four RHS guys. Still got Harlow Car. Um, it's an interesting place. It, it obviously, it very much echoes Essex in general. Mm. Although it, we're slightly on a hill, so actually there is a little bit of topography here. It's not quite as flat as other gardens, but it's obviously again a very dry space, big open skies. You get a lot of wind coming through the garden as well as I think you'll you'll hear as we go through the podcast. I haven't seen the whole garden. We've, ju- we've no, literally we've just, just You've just come got in. a glimpse of it. We're yeah. standing in front of one of the old buildings, the, the library area, which has got a lovely parterre-style uh, planting in front of it. There's lots of box and lots of box cones and balls. And then we've got things like salvias, rebecchias, tithonias. Um, oh, we've got the oh, lobelia tupa, uh, sedums, all, all manner of stuff, um, creating a lovely tapestry of colour. And it's it's very warm and sunny here. We've actually got chosen a lovely sunny day, and this is a real sun trap. It obviously is, must be south south facing to some description because we're here in the afternoon and it's baking in the sunshine. Um, so I'm going to give you a tour. Yeah, we're going to have a little walk around, aren't we? Look a, at some of the, the of, yeah a couple seasonal of, highlights. We are so a couple of key areas to look at. But first of all, I'm going to take you to somewhere behind this building that I think you will quite enjoy. So I've just walked up the hill, slightly out of puff, and we saw this amazing greenhouse 
appear in front of us. It's pretty big, isn't it? It's quite special. And then also, pretty amazing, we've got Matt here, Matt Oliver, who is uh, in charge of the Global Growth Veg Garden, and he's very kindly agreed to meet us here and talk us through this amazing area. So, hi Matt, lovely to see you. Hi, good to see you both again. <laughs> and um, I've been here before, so Saul has not been here before. It's my first time. And yeah. yeah, it's pretty impressive, isn't it? It lives up to its billing, that's for certain. It absolutely does. And uh, what we can see is, which region are we standing in at the minute? This is the... Um... Well, we're sort of in the centre of the garden. Uh, I suppose we're looking at South America. Yep. So each quarter of the garden is a different continent area. I suppose we're looking at South America um, to our left and we've got Asia to our right. And uh, yeah, Europe and North America over the other side of the garden. Brilliant. Well, I'm I'm particularly looking at the uh, the shark spin melon bed <laughs> because <laughs> Saul, this is a contentious issue because Zor gave me a, a melon uh, last yeah. time I saw him and I, I didn't split it open and sow the seeds. But now, my God, I can see how big these plants get. And Matt, you we were talking before we pressed record. This is that's two plants. And I guess the bed is what? Is it five by ten meters, something like that? Uh, that bed is three meters deep by I think maybe eight to ten meters right. long. And it's below it. Literally, it is spilling over with shark spin. Um, and I have heard reference that you've got uh, quite a good reference uh, record for growing a certain number of melons on one plant. Yes. Well, I always every year I grow two plants and two plants only. So I always keep track of how many we grow because when we harvest them we do a display I count them up yeah in that 2018 drought year I had 72 fruits off one of <laughs> of two what? plants of two. which I've not equaled yet I don't think this year is <laughs> quite going to equal that that would fill your greenhouse if I gave you all those. It would fill my greenhouse. I wouldn't be able to put all my lovely exotics that you gave me in there, would I? <laughs> but honestly, no, it looks like... So we're looking at the shark's fin, and we've got some yakon, we've got some sweet potatoes, some ochre in front of us. It's all rather lush and lovely. And then me, being a, a G&T girl, I'm quite excited that I'm standing just on the edge of the greenhouse. And to my left is a lime, to my right is a melon. Um... I've got a bit of a thirst on after walking up that hill, so, <laughs> you know. Any excuse for a G&T, uh, Lucy is there. So, should we, do you want to walk into this greenhouse? Because yeah. it's very special, isn't it? It's a beautiful structure. And maybe you can just talk us through what's going on in here, because I guess, would these plants be ones that really, they don't take the wind that this, this site has to offer, and they need, obviously, a bit more heat and yeah. protection? So, we tend to stick to under glass, all the classic glasshouse crops, uh, so tomatoes, cucumbers, aubergines, chilies all those kinds of things and then I throw in like a couple of the oddball exotics um, so I suppose okra is slightly unusual to be growing in this country yeah. got the yard long beans West Indian gherkins as well I've done the bitter gourd for the first time this year I've done bitter gourd um, don't the flowers smell nice uh, I think the whole plant smells strongly um, and we've got I've got to say I haven't eaten any yet but we've got plenty of fruits that burst open and spread oh, their wow. seed everywhere um, we've done watermelons as well, and then this whacking great thing up the back that's gone crazy is the Zimbalo, uh, Selenum caripense, oh, right. I think. Yeah. I've struggled in previous years, it's the first year I've ever had it germinate, so I had a couple germinate this year, and they said it was like the pepino, and yeah, it's grown like I say, it's not strug- It's no. not struggling now, is it? My goodness, it's gone crazy. I'm not sure if it's one I will be doing again. <laughs> it's making a, a takeover bit, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, a bit of a monster. Um, but yeah, it's been a good year under glass. Well, a, a tough year under glass, really, for me, mainly because, you know, the whole lockdown situation, spread yourself thin. So perhaps haven't... We normally try and... 
You know, this is our only bit of public glass centre of the garden. Quite impressive. We try and keep it like lots of attention to detail in here, which perhaps it hasn't had this summer. Fallen behind a little bit on some of the oh, biological I think you've been controls. very modest. It looks pretty special um, to me. I'm just admiring your lemongrass whilst you're yeah, talking that there. That's that's rather bushy both, and beautiful. Both species got flexuosum and uh, citratus is the yeah, other one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they tend to grow quite well on in here. Been a fantastic tomato year. Look at the aubergines. They're honestly wow. so so sore. Yeah. You're at what height are you? Well, I'm six foot, so... Yeah, and there's yeah. one there that's actually taller there than is. Saul. Is that a vari special variety that gets that big? Because mine will get to about oh. two foot, three foot. Look at these. So when did I, you start these I things I tried off? something a bit different this year, because I, I heard that the commercial growers grow them as cordons, Cord yeah. as double ah, cordons. okay. So normally I just let them do their thing yeah, in the bush and just yeah. let them get on with it. And I thought, well, if this is the year to experiment, let's do it. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, no different varieties. Uh, there's, I always grow one called uh, Bonica, I think, which is this middle one. I think I've, I've grown, yeah, I think I've, I've grown that one before. had success with that growing outdoors. Oh, they look super uh, right, okay. And then a lot of the other ones, uh, uh, I'm doing a lot of trials with burpees this year. So a yep. meatball and uh, the white one, which I can't remember what it's called now, uh, and we've got the green um, long You've got one white knight down white here. White knight and yeah. green knight, I think we've got. Yeah, White Knight and Green Knight and another one called Meatball. Um, I like the sound of Meatball. <laughs> I bet that makes a good masaka. I have a feeling. Growing them as cordons is great for space saving because, you, you know, you're going vertically. Yeah. And, the, you know, vertical using the vertical space as much as you can is, is fantastic for saving space. It's, they're going, I say, ones that are well above six foot. And um, you've, you've crammed loads of plants into this area so so uh, that's there's, i might i might there's, there's a lot more there, there than i'd normally fit in yeah. and that was the whole idea well I'm, i might be uh, pinching this idea matt for me next year <laughs> <So>. <laughs> if you don't mind yeah, definitely now i'm looking outside the greenhouse and i see dahlias now one thing i've picked up on twitter recently <laughs> is that you're getting right into your show dahlias aren't you how's that going how's that year going uh yeah, let's put it down as a novice year a learning year learn the ropes so well, well put <laughs> <laughs> i've done i've done two shows this year at county level and then uh we had the social distance dahlia society show that replaced the national championship okay and yeah i yeah. was in a novice class at that, and i finished probably where i deserve to finish <laughs> <laughs> but, not last uh, not, not third, third out of four so that's what i expected but yeah dahlias are now my uh my my spare time hobby gardening thing and those are down your allotment because i think i've seen a few pictures if you have a huge space you've dedicated to trying to grow these show dahlias yeah i've got about 170 plants on my allotment some of them for cut flower Just most a of them <coughs> and uh, I've, yeah i've been keeping all my colleagues sweet because everyone's been going home with massive bunches <laughs> of dahlias where <laughs> the, the house Aww. is just full up with them they'd yeah. lift your spirits wouldn't they christmas card dahlias. lists yeah. you've been going on a lot i can imagine <laughs> what, what what gets you going about them then because everyone knows i think from this podcast that i'm not the massive dahlia fan that maybe i should be but what makes you what makes you tick about them i guess they're well there's the variety and the color forms and uh, you know, I've always grown dahlias um, in the garden. They're quite forgiving plants, I think. Um, you know, you can, you can handle them easily and mess around with them and get them to do what you want, um, or you can just leave them to get on with it. Um, yeah, there's so many different forms and class classifications out there. There's something for everyone, really. But we grow them here in this garden because they fall into the category of edible. 
um, that's why okay. they're in the veg garden because you can eat the tubers. Yeah, yeah. The story yeah. goes they're brought across to Europe by the Spanish as a food crop, and just this us quirk of Europeans that we've bred them as a cut flower. Well, this whole garden's really interesting because there are a lot of plants in here that you wouldn't classify. Well, you would have thought they're all just ornamental, but their edible value isn't known. So. Uh, yeah, it's quite interesting to come here and see things like oh, that. Oh, to it? me, as someone who loves my edible plants anyhow, to, I, I love coming here because it's just this melting pot of, like you say, it's, it's, it's the world's edible plants all in, all in one space being grown on a very windy hilltop in Essex. And I just think hats off to you, Matt, for doing it at all. It, and to grow them to this quality and this level. I'm just looking at your runner beans. I mean, they are, what are they, maybe eight foot tall, if not more than that? And this is a really open, windy site. I know that my beans have been battered by those. We had three gales in close succession. I guess they've been planted on that side of the greenhouse because the prevailing wind comes from the other side? Or, or how, do, how have you worked? No, the prevailing wind comes from the southwest. Which right. Is, yeah, sweeps right up the hill right through we've got a very small shelter belt of young trees that don't offer us that much protection at the moment but it's getting there um yeah i'll try and do things like plant the jerusalem artichokes and big tall strong tough plants up the back on that corner to give us some sort of protection um yeah, those, those 50 mile an hour winds we had a couple of weeks ago wreaked havoc. Basically, a lot of plants finish early, like the pumpkins and the squashes. I've managed to save our tall sunflowers. I was just um, looking at those. Yeah, they are monsters. Yeah, they've been, they're probably <laughs> the, uh, the, the gem of the garden at the moment because they're yeah. in full flower and about 10 to 12 foot tall and everyone loves a sunflower. Well, and the diameter of the heads of the ones that I can see, from here, I can see some smaller ones um, with the multiple heads on, but these ones that have got this, the whacking great big tree trunk-like stem and the single head, the, oh, the diameter of them, we're talking about a foot across, um, just for the seed head, not including the petals. So um, shall we wander back outside yeah, again? Absolutely. Yeah. So we're coming outside, I guess, to more of the, this is a more the European yeah. side of things, yeah. looking at this. So do you want to talk us through what we've, we've got going on? So, yeah, Europe, I suppose, is uh, not as full of as many exciting, exotic stuff as perhaps the other parts of the garden. How so dare we do, you? Come do, on! Lots of, <laughs> did you hear that, Lucy? <laughs> we do lots of peas, uh, lots of brassicas and lots of salad crops. You love the endive um, here and your, your lettuce. And yeah, it's so this was, um, I suppose this is what we call gap filling in the back half of the season this bed was what I call our seed crops so we did things like lentils and opium poppies and flax yep. and millet those kind of things but they all finished quite early especially asparagus peas as well we do so yep. they came out a couple of weeks ago and just uh, yeah threw in some uh, endive uh, some celtis that's a different oh, unusual yes. one like the stem lettuce yep. and the rest are um, some kales and brassicas I had left over from that didn't fit in our normal brassica bed. Um, I'm hoping to do... Uh, I think I've got a garden magazine coming in in the winter and want to take pictures of kale or something like that, so I'll go a few more. <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure that'd be a fascinating edition of the garden magazine. Kale. Yeah, and they've got a green, a green manure in front of us here, is it? Or? Yeah, green manure is, at this time of year, a massive sort of get-out-of-jail card for me where gaps appear. Yeah. Because um, we're cons- like, cause the planting has to be... Uh, appropriate for its continent area sort of like, it's very hard to fill gaps in this garden as the season as the season comes to an end yeah so where i have a large area up here i, I normally this time i'll do a phacelia or a white mustard or I'll use a lot of grazing rye to get me through the winter as well um it's better to have 
a bed of green manure than an empty bed and stuck it's, over as early. Saul once said in the previous episode nature abhors a vacuum it absolutely and it will does. fill it for you if you don't do it first it'll be so. south thistles and all kinds of things <laughs> one thing I have noticed as well is how how little the visiting public know about green manures to get mm. a lot of questions about it sort of it's not quite on the radar yet of like well what is this and why are you doing it so okay, it does fall into that educational thing that we're supposed to as well. Yeah. I have a feeling there's a podcast in Green Manures. <laughs> well, somewhere. there might well be. I think we could make that last 20 minutes easy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I think what we're going to do now is carry on walking around the rest of High Tall, but it's been lovely catching up with you again, Matt. We always enjoy seeing you so much and, and uh, picking your brains because when it comes to growing veg and unusual veg specifically, oh my goodness, you are the man to speak to. So thank you very much for your time and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Cheers. Thank you. We've reached the end of today's episode and we sincerely hope that you found it informative and entertaining. If you'd like to leave us a review via your podcast provider, we'd be delighted to know your thoughts. While many aspects of the garden year are behind us, there are still plenty of horticultural milestones to mark. So Saul and myself are eager to bring you yet more valuable episodes of the Talking Heads podcast. We're also keen to visit those iconic gardens, large and small, of our peers and friends. With this in mind, you can look forward to an autumn packed full of interviews, road trips, practical advice, and of course, mine and Lucy's opinions on all manner of wide-ranging horticultural topics. We want to ensure that our listeners are kept up to date with what any self-respecting head gardener needs to know. So, until the next episode of Talking Heads... Goodbye! Goodbye!